It's too bad you're not sexy. I can be sexy. You know what would be super duper sexy? If you lost all the clothes. Huh? I'm sick of sleeping with these insipid Manhattan debutantes. <laughs> Nothing shocks them anymore. But you can relax. I have a mission for you. Why I plan to wait by Annette Hargrove. Paradigm of chastity and virtue. Introduce her to your world of sex, drugs, and what else do you do? She's young, supple. She'll be my greatest victory. You don't stand a chance. Care to make a wager on that? If I win, then that hot little car of yours, mine. And if I win? I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married. Happy hunting, Sebastian. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back from the break, you guys. My name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that made, made us gay. gay. Yay! Boys and girls, you're in for a very special treat today. We've dug through the archives. Yes, we did. And we found the very first time Pete and I were on mic together for the show. Yes, indeed. Some call it the lost episode. We call it the pilot. It was our mm-hmm. first try at this. It was a kind of a test run, a dry run, if you will, just to see how long we could sit down and talk about one movie. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I had some notes in front of me, but a lot of it was kind of winged. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was uh, definitely seat of our pants. Uh very raw, very uh, untested. But uh, at the end of the day, after we finished it and put it down and listened back. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I listened I to it last week on a walk yeah. that I was taking. I just kind of just put it on just to see. I'm just going to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, Pretty solid. Yeah. Agreed. yeah. Agreed. I mean, I think we did a pretty good job right out of the gate. Indeed. To kind of give ourselves a pat on the back. Indeed. And uh, since we're on a break from our regularly scheduled programming, we decided to put out an extra episode so that all of our fans out there, all of our listeners won't be wanting for more. So uh, we decided to put this out for you for your listening pleasure so you could have a little bit while we... Start recording some new stuff. Get ready for a new season. I've been booking guests for the show. Yes, indeed. We are working We're going to start recording soon. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, everybody, sit back. Listen to Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions. Recorded all the way back in when, Scott? March of 2019. Can you believe that? I mean... I mean, and also I love that we're living this AMC A-list life that we we went to the movie theater for this. We did. We saw for it in the theater. a 20-year-old movie. Yes, indeed. But it spawned a really good drop that I haven't used that often in any of the shows, but I'm going to bring it back. I want to fuck. I'm definitely mm-hmm. using that a lot more often, and that's all thanks to this movie, Cruel Intentions. So uh, are we ready for the show? I'm ready. All right. I think I'm ready, too. Everybody, let's get in the Wayback Machine while we take a trip back to Cruel Intentions. Bye. Bye. Cruel Intentions released 20 years ago, 1999. Released March 5th, 1999. And, yeah, I won't give too big of a plot synopsis because that uh, very informative trailer gave the 
brief sketch of the plot, and many of you might be familiar with, with the movie Cruel Intentions. It stars Ryan Philippi, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Reese Witherspoon, Selma Blair, and definitely was the um, the end of the 90s, saw a lot of teen movies, and this was probably one of the more racier teen movies that came out around that time. It's oh, directed sure. by Roger, Roger Cumble. And not crumble, not crumble. Uh, it is adapted from the nineteen, the seventeen ninety six novel Dangerous Liaisons, um, and it's kind of a fresh take on that old story of sex, lies, and deceit, all revolving around these rich kids that live in New York penthouses. Sure, and I feel like watching it last night. There's a lot of teen movies in the late 90s, early 2000s that mm-hmm. were like, ooh, this is an adaptation of Shakespeare. This is an adaptation of, like, Emma and all. But those movies, were they really? They were very loosely adapted. This was really a close adaptation to it's, Dangerous Liaisons. It's a pretty close adaptation. It's been a while since I've seen the 1988 movie with Glenn Close and John Malkovich, but sure. it hits all of the main character beats and yeah. all of the main characters of that of that story are, are in the movie too yeah totally uh well y- this movie had some uh some major faggotry going on oh yeah and it mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean it's a it's definitely a straight story but uh there's a lot of stuff in there for young gay blossoming uh children mm-hmm. to, to latch on to there's like the awesomeness of just Sarah Michelle Gellar's super yeah. like cunty character. Mm-hmm. There's Ryan Phillippe's bare ass. There's uh, Joshua Jackson, Joshua Jackson, Pacey from Pacey. Dawson's Creek. Yeah, uh, just just hamming it up. Just mm-hmm. oh boy, oh boy. There was some uh, interviews recently with the cast because it's just been twenty years and. And Joshua Jackson said something about how he really wanted to make this character real, and and like the we you know a, he just happens to be gay. Oh, we have boy. a lot of we have a lot to say about that. We'll say that until later when we get to that scene. Until we get to that scene. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what's interesting about this movie, and you can't really say about it, a lot of teen movies that come out today. Uh-huh. This was definitely the movie that. Well, at least with me, because I'm a little younger than you. This came out when I was in the oh, eighth grade. Uh-huh. So this was. The movie that you had to hide from yeah, your parents. You had no business. You had this, no business watching grade. this movie, and that was kind of the brilliant of the marketing from its producer Neil M. Moritz was that they wanted to do a like a sex movie for teenagers. Sure, and that's a pretty ballsy move from a major studio. Well, and the other thing is, you don't see them until the very last scene of the movie in uniform for this yes. private school that they're in. And the entire time, Sarah Michelle Keller is wearing these, like, dynasty by way of, like, en vogue, like, there's outfits. A, there's a lot of bustiers and oh, lingerie. Yes. There are, yeah, there are titties pushed up to her chin. Mm-hmm. She's wearing corsets. She's wearing... You know, gauzy, see-through, like, and I, gown and robes. And I suppose that's part of the fun of adapting that uh, that book that takes place in high society and a pre-revolutionary France. Uh-huh. Was that they were able to kind of have fun with that wardrobe. It's not really anything teenagers would wear. No. But it's sort of a, a little nod to that material. Sure. That you can make them not really... Dress like your normal seventeen-year-olds. Sure, you can kind of elevate it a little bit. I mean, Ryan Phillippe was just running around in suits, uh, yeah. and 
Reese Witherspoon was running around in like pastels. She looked like she was the assistant manager at the Gap. I bet. But I bet that costume designer was so proud of herself and how she contrasted Annette's character with very light colors with uh, Sebastian's character of very dark. Annette dark dre- blues. And that dressed like she worked in a mall. I mean, She's, she wore khakis. She was, and she was just off her shift at the Banana Republic. Yeah. <laughs> she was wearing the same outfit that Janine Garofalo wore to work in. Very, very wrong about it. Yeah, he really is taking advantage of her. She's, like, molesting this poor girl with the, you know, mental capacity of, like, an Mm eight-year-old. So (laughs) that's disturbing. As he, like, liquors her up, gives her some, like, Long Island iced teas. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's Mm -hmm. drinking a Long Island iced tea, and she goes, this doesn't taste like iced tea. Really, bitch? There's three kinds of alcohol in that. You were just like, oh, wow, this iced tea is, like, making me feel funny. Come on. that That's a stretch right there. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so it starts off right away with Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, grooming this character, and we find out why. It's because uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar was dumped by this guy at the beginning of the summer because he wants to start dating Selma Blair. Rather than... Ru- th- their whole thing is they like to ruin people. They like to ruin re- reputations. They like to be cast out of New York society. Yeah. So rather than ruin the guy, she's going for the girl the guy likes. So then he'll have a bad reputation. Yeah, that was a little. That was a little thin. That's a little muddy. But uh, it starts off with her and uh, Samuel Blair's character's mother, who's played by Christine Baranski. And just kind of Christine Baranski. Oh, yeah. I Christine, think she knocks a small role out of the park. She does. It's a small role, but she's doing what she does well. She's in her wheelhouse. She's just wearing Chanel suits, you know, finely tailored Chanel suits, and she's got her sensible Christine Baranski haircut. And every line has that Christine Baranski line delivery. Uh, yes. Uh, we. I've got a little bit of that right here. We can listen up. What are the boys like? Oh, Cecile. <laughs> Is that all you can think of? Give it, Catherine. She's never been in a, a co-educational atmosphere before. Oh, it's perfectly understandable. Most of the boys that matriculate at Manchester are very upstanding gentlemen. 
However, there are the occasional few bad apples. Like your stepbrother, Sebastian. I can't believe they didn't expel him after what he did to the school nurse. I hear she's recovering quite well. Nice to see you again, Mrs. Caldwell. Do you remember my, my daughter, Cecile? My, what an adorable shirt you're wearing. Thanks, my father took me on a trip to Australia. How are things down under? Blossoming, I hope. Sebastian! Well, I think we'll be covering now. Thank you so much for your help. Cecile, I'll call you and we can plan your curriculum. Okay, thanks. It was nice meeting you. Mwah. Ciao. Let's go, Cecile, now. Keep your legs together. This isn't Jamaica. Yeah, as you can see from that clip there, or as you can hear, the dialogue is a little uh, affected, but I think that's part of the characters, you know, them just playing these, like, super affected, using this very flowery language with each other. And this was also the eight, like, the the time of Dawson's Creek, <laughs> and just sort of writing dialogue that no 17-year-olds are ever saying. Sure, but I think in this movie it's a, it's a, it's a little yeah. different. Uh, in Dawson's Creek, they're just trying to I feel like that was just Kevin Williamson indulging himself and sounding like, well, look how smart I am. These characters aren't intended to sound smart. They're intended to sound like um, aristocratic and and like uh, more adult than they are. Well, also, there's the character that um, that is Catherine because she has two different uh, sides of her. She has the Catherine that she presents to This the is world. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah Michelle Gellar. There's the character that she's like putting on this front for – and then there's the person, the mean, cold-hearted bitch slut that she actually is. Sure. And she I, always has to balance between those two. I think some of the best, uh, I laughed really hard a couple of times, and it was each time Sarah Michelle Gellar would leave a room after talking to Cecile, the uh, Selma Blair character, she would turn around and just under her breath just go, moron. You fucking idiot. One time she said moron, and one time she said fucking idiot. And I was just like, oh my god. Oh my god, I love it. She looks it. like she's having a lot of fun with this character, too. Yeah, she does. Um, there, there's some really great dialogue, mostly from, from SMG. She looks great. This was at the height of... Well, not at the height of Buffy, early Buffy. This was probably... She was in between probably season two and three. She, she sort of has the dark season hair. three haircut. Well, she's never dark on Buffy, but mm-hmm. they probably... They dyed her hair... Br- Brown, probably, in between two and three. I'm just staring at yeah. that nose on on the big screen. I'm just like, that SMG nose. She never got it fixed, too. It's just like... She's like Barbara. It, but it looks fixed. I don't I don't think it so. It looks she's fake to me. No, I know, but it looks like a fake nose. It's interesting. And she's wearing the brownest of the brown lipsticks. A lot of earth tones In this on her. movie. Yeah. She, I think one of her best looks is probably the... Central Park kissing scene, the iconic. Oh, the breakfast at Tiffany's hat. Kiss, yeah, she's wearing a breakfast at Tiffany's hat, giant sunglasses, and like, but like a business suit. Yes, she's not wearing like a dress. Um, I it's think like a business later suit. in the movie, if we're talking about the Catherine looks, I like that um, that black dress that she's wearing. It's like a, uh, well, it's she like wears a, a lot of black dresses. It's a simple <laughs> black dress with uh, with long sleeves. What scene is it in? Oh, I don't remember. Oh well. 
there's a lot of really good Sarah Michelle Keller moments. There's a lot of good visual moments with her. There's a lot of good like bitchy cunty moments. Um, and yeah, there is an iconic girl on girl kissing scene that takes place in Central Park. That I mean, that was so talked about. It was time. so talked about. Are it, you talking about the MTV Movie Award? Yeah, best kiss scene, winning right? Yeah. They won the v- the MTV Movie Award for best kiss. So stupid. Yeah. The MTV Movie Awards for Best Guy. Oh, God. It was parodied famously in uh, Not Another Teen Movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a, that's a, another little bit of, like, uh, of, of some gay-ass action that's taken place in this movie mm-hmm. that a lot of little kids were able to latch on to, even in this very straight story. But, uh, yes, I can't get over the dialogue in this movie, though. Yeah. There were some really great scenes, really great lines. Um, immediately after we meet uh, Selma Blair, we get right into the main bet of the movie. And she takes a, a giant snort of cocaine out of her <laughs> out of her cross, which is very iconic. Yeah, and the thing is, I kind of it's remember a, I remember the character of Catherine being more of a cokehead, but you only really see her do it. At the beginning and the end of the movie. But yeah, she carries around this crucifix, this cross around her neck on this like run DMC chain. It's so huge. She we're to believe that she wears this giant like piece of junk jewelry around her neck with this cross in because it. Because whenever she's alone, she she turns to God. No, oh, yeah. And that helps her through it. But inside of the inside the cross is a little Coke spoon, you guys. Look, I mean, how there's nothing. Is there's that? nothing obvious about the like the the subtext behind that. No, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So we have her little coke spoon on the Run DMC chain. Uh, we get into the main bed of the movie, which is uh, Ryan Phillippe's character pulls out a Seventeen magazine with who on the cover? Oh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. None other than Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm sure Love that was cover. considered or maybe read for the role of Catherine too. Oh, she could never play Catherine. She is no she is no Catherine. And they had just my, made my the friend. movie together. Uh what movie? I know what you did last summer. That came out before this. Came out a year before, a year or so before it and it was produced by uh Neil M. Moritz. There you go. Did, so all three of them the movie. were yeah. co-stars in that movie. They gave her a little wink and a nod in this movie. It's a 17 magazine. That we open up and there is uh, an article, a kind of an opinion piece or an editorial written by Annette, which is Reese Witherspoon's character. Why I Plan to Wait by Annette Hargrove from Kansas City, Kansas. A Virgin's Manifesto. Oh, like a manifesto, like it's a like a communist manifesto with a bunch of like uh, nonsense scribbled on there, like an actual manifesto. A virgin's <laughs> manifesto. Um, so somehow uh, the Annette character has enough influence to get this essay into Seventeen magazine. And we should also mention that Annette's father is going to be the headmaster at the prep school. Yes, the the next Sebastian and Catherine are about to attend. Sure, the next when school starts again in the fall. They got a new headmaster, and she's the daughter. So maybe that she has some society pull. She's the father of the mm-hmm. headmaster of a prestigious Manhattan prep school. So she has a little bit of society pull to get herself into Seventeen magazine. So he uh, he reads this article and decides 
she's a virgin. She has this whole manifesto about it, and he decides that he's going to uh, take her virginity, essentially. <laughs> he's going to find out where she is. Oh, well, he found out where she is. She's moving to, to New York. She's going to be here in this all summer long. And, he's and gonna, she's staying with his aunt? With his, with Ryan Phillippe's character's aunt, yes. Okay, we've got this giant estate somewhere. He says the island. She's staying well, on the island. I, I don't mean, know what that means. Isn't I'm it kind of Long York. Island? Aren't those... Doesn't isn't there these Martha's huge, Vineyard, these maybe. huge mansions in Long Island? Sure, yeah, who knows? I, I think there is. <laughs> I'm not from there. I live in L.A. I'm assuming the island means yeah something in Martha's Vineyard that vicinity. She's over by the Barefoot Contessa. But yeah, we're in this giant mansion. He goes out there. He's got this uh, like um. I have some thoughts to say about the bet. Sure. What do you got? So the bet famously is uh, he gets to fuck Sarah Michelle Gellar. If he wins, because I mean, I guess that's just how they roll. But she gets his car. Sure. Isn't that kind of a, I mean, shouldn't he be asking for a little more? Well, that we are to believe that a a fuck from Catherine is equal in value to a 1950 whatever. It's a Jaguar. I thought it was a Porsche. No, it's a Jaguar. A Jaguar Roadster. But I'm just thinking like, wow, shouldn't you be kind of like shooting a little higher in this bet? I mean, well, that's why he was kind of like, what? Yeah. (laughs) But I think the thing was, A, he's so confident that he's going to win the bet. But B, yeah, I think Catherine is just like, this puss is worth that car. Um, So, yeah, and their step siblings is still supposed to be scandalous. You know, we're still supposed to be scandalized that that's like the bet and the way they interact with each other. It's very like sexual. They don't they don't do anything. They don't sex, they don't kiss, but it's very, like, physical and sexual and gross. Um, but, yeah, I think we're just supposed to equate, you know, the the value of the car with the value of, of their physical love. But, yeah, this car, I'm yeah. telling you, it's too much. It's hashtag too oh, much. Oh, and I love when he when he pulls up to the to their townhouse, he parks it into, into a red zone. Yeah. And he just... Uh, flicks off like the the meter guy he waves out there's a it's a cop and the cop. He, the, there's a cop there and the cop's like you can't park here because it's in a red zone right in front of the building and as he's walking away back turned to the cop he just waves his hand yeah. like fuck off get out of here so are i'm they, like are they gonna tow that jack i'm just like tow the car yeah you're a cop. i like to see a cut scene where he has to go to like new jersey to get his car out of impound out of the impound lot yeah just like takes a lot of cash he wouldn't care he'd send, they'd send Mei Ling to do it just send her with a wad of cash get the car out they've got money to spare um well annette does not give two shits about sebastian at first. And we should also mention that Sebastian's aunt is played by Academy Award winner Louise Fletcher, who's been re- who just says uh I mean she doesn't have a lot of lines. She doesn't have a lot movie. to do in this movie She's and that, on a horse. And that kind of goes to show sometimes when when you're a Academy Award winning actress of a certain age, you just got to play somebody's aunt sometimes. But it wasn't even of a certain... I mean, maybe she was a certain age when she won the award because she didn't really work a lot after no. that. It's not like you remember her from all these stellar performances she did, and like, the she Exorcist she dropped too. off the map. She never really did a lot after, even after Cuckoo's Nest. Um, but she's in this movie. She's, she's the aunt character who uh, lives in this 
house alone, apparently. Yeah. The staff. Oh, you just see a few rooms at a house, but the house is huge. It looks it's, like Jack Nicholson's house from The Witches of Eastwick. It's like seriously like Godfather, like so, like ridiculously huge. It's like where Whitney Houston lived in um, in The Bodyguard. <laughs> but you n- you never see anyone there. She's They're on horseback at one point. Um, they have a picnic at another point. But Reese Witherspoon... I feel like as a teenager, she just gets dropped here in this house with a bedroom with like, there's no television. There's like, there's nothing to do in this house. Just reading in the yard. Just reading on the grass, wandering around. Um, It's so odd. But, you know, we're not supposed to care about that. We're just supposed to care that she is this pious virgin and she's actually turning away. Sebastian, which nobody ever yes, does. Yes, and Sebastian tries to sort of um, hit on her and pick her up, and she is not having any of it. Oh, but you know why? It's because she got that letter. Yes, she got... Do we ever find out who wrote the letter? Is it... Yeah, it was... Is it, it was, him? It was Christine Baranski's character. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get that. Well, she gets this letter, and she's like, no, I've heard about you. Like, I'm staying away from you. And he's like, "Who? The, what the fuck? How did you hear about me? She's like, oh, because maybe someone. I'm just a fucking asshole, and word gets around too, all the way to Kansas. Sure, why not? <laughs> you know that one boy in New York. He's terrible. Um, so why does Ryan Phillippe go to Pacey to figure it out? So I think they, f- I think, well, he's just over at Pacey's house. He's just complaining to him about and it. He's just complained to him about it, and Pacey's like, oh, I'm fuck buddies with a friend of hers that sure. lives in Kansas City. And, okay, so Pacey's character is gay, and Ryan Phillippe is not supposed to care about it, but they they say faggot a lot in this movie. Which you have to give the movie credit, because there was not a lot of gay characters in teen movies at the time. You didn't see a lot. So, I mean, this is one of the one big out characters that I can think about in movies at the time. Yeah. Um, He he plays it a little little faggy, uh, but you can... Listen for your judge for yourself. Here you go. Kansas. Who the hell do I know in Kansas? Greg McConnell. The football stud? Mm-hmm. He's from Kansas City. I wouldn't be surprised if he was your rat. It would make sense. McConnell hates me. I fingered his girlfriend at homecoming last year. <laughs> I don't think that bothered him so much. What do you mean? Well, let's just say that Greg likes to tackle the tight ends on and off the field. Oh, are you shitting me? Mm, I shit not. He used to sneak into my dorm room drunk every month. We'd go at it for a little while, and then as soon as he'd come, he'd start freaking out. Oh, what are you doing, man? I'm not a fag. If you tell anybody, I'm going to kick your ass. God. The only reason I'm let him keep up the charade because the man's got a mouth like a hoover. Ooh. Mouth like a Hoover. And he kind of talks normal when he's talking to Sebastian, but then when he gets on the phone with the Eric Mabius character, he turns super effeminate. Oh, yeah. Too. Forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some steps in the right direction, but there are also a couple of steps backwards. But, I mean, hey, it was some kind of representation in uh, 1997, did we say? 1999. 20 years. Yeah. Some kind of representation on screen, so something for us to latch on to. He also dyed his hair uh, platinum blonde. He bleached out his hair, Pacey, for he this was, role. I mean, he was. I think it was for this. 
I think so. Yeah. What else would it be? Urban for? Legend came out the year before, and his hair is bleached in that movie. Yeah, but I think it's just because they bleached it, so he was just like, "I'm not dying it again." Yeah. <laughs> I think it, at that time, I mean, guys like bleaching out their hair was in fashion, but I think he, I think it was his character choice for this movie mm-hmm. in particular, and then he just kept it. Because it was like very MTV. Uh, speaking of hair, Ryan Phillippe kind of looks like uh, before every sh- before every scene that he's just like sticks his head under the sink. Yeah. Why? And- Ryan Phillippe has curly hair. Mm-hmm. He has naturally curly hair. Whatever. That's fine. Uh, but it's like there's ge- gel or mousse gel. or something because his hair looks so wet in every scene of this movie and it doesn't look curly it just looks like pointy and weird his hair is a very weird texture and i just could not stop staring at it the entire time but that's neither here nor there um yeah what where are we now in the movie um they set up the whole blackmail scene where uh pacey is going to be hooking up with Eric Mabius. Oh yeah. And then uh there's like a plan. So that's an, so that's another thing. Okay. So they go to like set up this guy, the guy who they think told Annette to stay away from Sebastian, right? And Ryan Phillippe's whole plan is I'm going to out you and it's going to ruin not only your reputation but your parents. So those are the steps back, right? And also, this gay man is just going along with this. Yeah, well, yeah, his character isn't just like, well, fuck that. Yeah, no, no, out somebody and then blackmail them for being gay. Well, he's part of Sebastian's like inner circle, so that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that he does. But that's also showing the like treacherous nature of his character, as well as like the super like pussy elements of like Eric Mabius that's just like, no, you can't out me because that would ruin my parents' lives. It's, it's I also odd. just remembered the scene that we skipped over, which is the famous Ryan Phillippe bun scene. Oh yeah, we do see the buns. Yeah, because he goes over uh he goes over to the mansion pool. Mm-hmm. And the indoor pool. The indoor pool and he convinces Annette to take a swim with her. Sure. And she walks in on him naked. You see him from behind. I definitely rewound that scene a lot. That fat ass. As a 16-year-old. <laughs> so you did have this on VHS. I did have this on VHS. I did not. I never purchased this movie. Um, I did see it in the theater. I can't remember who I saw it with because it was 20 years ago. But I did see it in the theater with some friends. Um, but, yeah, I never purchased it. I was never like, I've got to watch that movie over and over again. I remember seeing it on cable when it would when it would get re-aired. Well, the, well, the whole scene with Eric Mabius being blackmailed, mm-hmm. he essentially finds out that he didn't write the letter. Sure. But he convinces him just to put in a good word with Annette. And yeah. say he's actually a really good guy. Because he... They are friends with each other. The Eric Mabius character and uh, Reese Witherspoon's character are friends. So he's like, okay, you, maybe you didn't write the letter, but I will still out you if you, unless you lie to her and tell her that I'm really cool and really nice and that she should uh, try to fuck me. So <laughs> we do get a couple of scenes there where we, we establish their friendship. And uh, he's like, oh, no, yeah, he's a really great guy. He's got a bad reputation, but I don't know why. Because he's so cool. Okay, and then I have 
uh, it, we have to go into uh, Cecile's music teacher. Sure. Because that's another subplot of the movie. Yes. Now Cecile has taking cello lessons, again, because she is a eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's getting cello lessons, and she's very uh, up close and personal with her cello teacher. Who's not quite taking advantage of her. They have a mutual, you know, uh, interest in each other. Mm-hmm. He likes her and... And uh, and he's black. And he's black, which is controversy. It's a New York society and it's 1999. That could ruin you. Yeah. So, <laughs> But uh, Catherine walks in on them during a lesson and sees them a little too close. Mm-hmm. So that's when she's like, okay, she gets an idea in her head about... How to ruin Cecile with this information. But yeah, but we should probably talk about the whole scene where she gets seduced by Sebastian. And I suppose that like what's the end game of this seduction? Just to make her a whore? That she wants she of... wants she wants Cecile to be sexually active so that she is more willing and able to initiate an actual relationship with the cello teacher. She doesn't want Cecile to chicken yeah. out on the cello uh-huh. teacher. She wants her to be like, I'm a grown woman who's Sebastian's helping her to get there. Yes. So she's like, you need to go and give her a sexual awakening so she's down for the D and ready for cello teacher. Which that scene is definitely a something in 2019 in this post-Me Too movement. That would never fly. Yeah, of course not. Because, yeah, he's fully just taking advantage of her for, like, other means. And this... Okay, so Cecile gets in trouble with her parents. She flees to to, uh, Ryan Philippi and Sarah Michelle Gellar's house. Ryan Philippi intercepts her and is like, Okay, well, now that you're here, um, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this thing before you leave. And... I said, Selma Blair is playing this character as if she were a child. So Ryan Phillippe trying to seduce her is so gross. Super weird. It's so gross and weird because he's like, oh, yeah, take your panties off. And she's like, oh, that's weird. I can stand on my head. And you're like, what? And she's just like, ew, blowjob's gross. And you're just, what? And he's like, all right, now I'm going to, like, eat you out. And she's just like, mm, weird. Sounds like a put real my finger in my mouth. Yeah, it's so sick. And then the next day, I'll give you a little uh, glimpse of, of that character, because the next day she is essentially telling Sarah Michelle Gellar what happened. She's like, oh, I have, have to tell clip? you something. Uh, you know, your brother took advantage of me. This clip is out of control. Yeah. He went down on me. That's what you call it. Well, did you like it? No. No. Uh, I don't know. It was weird. And at first it felt icky, and then it was sort of okay. And then... Then I started getting really hot, and then I started shaking. Then it... I don't know. It was weird. It just felt like, like an explosion. But a good one. Cecile, you had an orgasm. I did. You're becoming a woman. I'm so proud of you. I am! Cecile! It was so icky. 
That music. What? That music under the scene. Yeah. I mean, this movie is too much. It's super entertaining to oh, watch. It goes down real easy. Yeah, it's super entertaining to watch. I did find myself thinking towards the end of the movie, I was like, all right, let's wrap this, time to wrap this up. When's he going to get hit by the car? Yeah. <laughs> the whole the whole falling in love and breakup scene of Reese and Ryan is kind of the is the most boring part of the movie. Yeah. Okay, so there's another thing. So now now Sebastian, Ryan Philippi, Sebastian is like, he's trying to seduce Annette. Annette's not falling for it. He keeps going out with her on these, like, daytime dates. They go do this, like, charity, you know, volunteering thing. And, you know, he's trying to break her down to, like, do it. And she's just, like, she's a smart character. She's the most grounded in reality. She's a little shrill, but I think Reese is a good actress that she doesn't quite play her that way. Yeah. Too. Um, it probably reads shrill on the page, and then I think that she sort of like lightens her up a little bit. Yeah. Reese is very charming. So she's the. I feel like she's the most grounded character, and so what is happening is that she's actually kind of falling for him, like really falling for him, and so. There are a couple of scenes where he's like playing it off like, okay, this is real and I just want to bone you, but it's because I love you. And it's like, wait a minute, is he still playing her or is or is this real? It does it's it's a little too late where in the movie where he kind of expresses to the audience they make that, him have the Oh, arc. I'm actually falling for her. They make him have the arc super quick in his character. Yeah, and so so I didn't understand if he was being truthful with her or if he was still playing it so that he could get her into bed. And it wasn't until later that you're, that he kind of expresses like, oh, no, this is real, that I'm just like, oh, okay, I didn't get that because I kind of felt like you were still putting her on for, you know, just, just to get in there and, and, and bone her. So that was weird. Um, but then he really does fall in love with her. And now, you know, there's this whole scene where she's like, all right, you know, let's do it. Let's bone down. And he stops her and he's like, no, I can't do it, you know, and leaves. But at that point I was like, really? All that? Virgin's Manifesto? And she's known him for like a week and she's like, all right, let's go to town. Yeah, she lets her guard down super easy. I think she, I think she, I think she lets him in a little too quick for, for that character. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see it in her, in Reese Witherspoon's face. I think her performance is like, okay, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I like this guy. But it's like, wow, you're really throwing everything out the window. For this dude. And it's like, I know Ryan Phillippe's hot and everything, but he's kind of a dirtbag. Yeah, and that's the whole thing, is that even if they were, uh, even if he weren't, wasn't hit by the car and <laughs> uh, dies, yeah, um, he's still just kind of a dirtbag. I mean, there's that whole opening scene where he posts pictures of Tara Reid online. It's like, yeah, she's going to find out about that. Yeah. And are you just going to forgive him? Like, all the things that he did leading up to this point, you know, He's, like, played all these girls. He, like, he, at the very beginning of the movie, we find out that he posts, I mean, I'm assuming there's more pictures because the picture that got posted is not that bad. Well, because there's the whole thing of that he's a photographer. And it's like, oh, you could be a model. He posts pictures of this girl on the internet um, in compromising position. The girl who's, is his therapist's daughter. Who's played by Tara Reed. He's played by Tara Reed. The therapist is played by Smoosey Kurtz. The daughter is played by Tara Reed. He posts pictures of Tara Reed on the internet. 
because Susie Kurtz is overcharging him. Yeah. What is that? She was overcharging me. So I decided to, A, find her daughter, fuck her, take nudie pictures of her, and create an entire website to smear her mother's name. Who's got that kind of time? In 1999... Yeah, he, had to, he had to build a website He had that. to build a website or pay someone to build a website for him, which I'm sure he was able to just, like, just do this for me. So, yeah. So things like that, that, that the Reese character is going to find out and be like, oh, well, but he's changed. He's changed. For me. Any, any woman can change a man. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, he does break down Reese Witherspoon enough to get in bed with her. Mm-hmm. And, um... He goes to confront Catherine about it, I guess. Yeah, but um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't quite feel right. <laughs> this whole bet. So he backs down. So the thing is, he wins. Cath- he Catherine. wins. He wins the bet. He has sex with Annette, which means since he won the bet, his prize is to go and bone Catherine. But uh, yeah, then when he goes to confront her about it and tell her about it, we get one of the best scenes in the movie. Oh. <laughs> we're going to be using this as a sound cue. Yeah. We're going to be playing it a lot. <laughs> so I assume you've come here to make arrangements. Some other time. Excuse me? I'm not in the mood. I want to fuck. And I don't. Yeah. I made she, sure to... She really... And that really did a number on him. I want to fuck. <laughs> yeah, so th- that's the thing. It's like after all that, he's just like, no, you know what? I don't want you anymore. I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. But it kind of goes into this whole thing with Catherine's character that apparently she was kind of in on it, that she knew that that he would fall for her. Yeah. And that sort of breaks character for Sebastian. Yeah. So now he's just a fraud to who he is actually is as a person. Yeah. Is that kind of how you read that scene? I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, that was some weird dialogue. Yeah, it gets crazy uh, when everything starts unraveling. But, I mean, the the big takeaway. I want to (laughs) fuck. I mean, she's ready for it. (laughs) As she's like wearing this like negligee, and I think that she throws a champagne glass at the wall. Yeah, when he leaves. Yeah, I mean, again, their parents are gone. They're off, you know, like in a in a hot tub with like Roger Moore. And did you notice that um, Catherine's bedroom? They uh, styled Blair's bedroom and Gossip Girl to pretty much look like that set. Oh, I never really yeah. watched Gossip Girl a lot, but I did notice that she had a framed eight by ten of her own face. Oh, I love that <laughs> on her like on her dressing on her dresser drawer or something. It was a really it was a close up. To yeah, it's like <laughs> it wasn't even just like a portrait. It was, it was like a, a headshot. Weird, it was like a headshot in a frame in her own room. Yeah, sure. Her bedroom is very interesting. It's very like you know, it's very like Versailles. It's like blue, these like royal blues, and her bed is like situated in the wall. Yeah, her bed is like a cutout in in the back wall of the room. And apparently, you can hide people under the drawer. There's a drawer too. underneath her bed, big enough for a grown person to lay in mm-hmm. and and hide. I'm sure that was a 
architectural point that she asked for. So we should probably just skip right to the the confrontation with Ronald, <laughs> because so Sarah Michelle Gellar is so pissed that, um, sort of, I guess trying to ruin uh, Sebastian's character mm-hmm. and to get him back, mm-hmm. she tells Ronald the the celloist um, that. Uh, a he hit her, mm-hmm. and B that he slept with Ce- Cecile. Yes, and there's that whole. Uh, it's like he he jumps him in like Central Park, and they like Reese Witherspoon like runs out to break them up, and then she ends up in the street. Yeah, it's a very like uh, it's a very uh, like all the it's the type of blocking that you only see in movies. All too. these pieces fall into place for this like perfect little ending to happen. Um, which I which that's going back to the original material because that yeah. does happen, and I believe it's a duel. Yeah, of course it would have to and be he gets a duel. Shot in a duel. Yeah, it'd have to be a duel. But uh, they they get into a fist fight in the middle of the street on the sidewalk, uh, outside of Central Park, and yeah, Reese Witherspoon tries to break it up. It gets thrown into thrown oncoming in, traffic. Oncoming traffic. Uh, a cab is coming. Of course, he doesn't see her, and Ryan Phillippe pushes her out of the way just in time. Gets hit by this car. And has like the, a tiny scratch in his forehead. Tiny little scratch. Just a bit, a little nick. Um, but drops dead immediately afterwards. And uh, kind of now it's the end. Oh, but before that, we have to talk about the journal. Oh, the burn book, Mean Girls Journal that he keeps writing in. Yeah, it's it's always close to him. You always see it. So it's, it's so set stupid. Up super early. And I love when you get a close-up of the journal. Oh, yeah, because Sebastian gives Annette the journal as, like, th- these are all of my secrets. I'm laying yeah. it all out on the table. Yeah. I want you to know everything about me. Yes. That's his way of getting her back after he kind of, like, messes it up. Uh, Which, wouldn't you just hate him more? By reading the, by reading the burn book? By reading all of the awful things that he's done to people? Yes. Yes. Um... But we have to talk about the book itself. It's this leather-bound journal. And when we do see entries in it, he has, like, photographs that he'll, like, tape to the inside and then draw, like, borders around it. He'll and get, like, write Elmer's little, like, epithets. Yeah, it's like, like a scrapbook. Make little scrapbook elements and they tr- of it. they try to make it super cool and artistic-looking, but it, it just looks like a 14-year-old girl's, off like, super cheesy. like, yearbook. Yeah, it's super corny. And the thing is, he'll write, like, little epithets, like, around the picture, like, slut, coke problem, and you're just like, wow, that, those are the most, like, unimagined I just picture I just picture Sebastian's character just lying on his bed with like his his feet up in the air yeah like his hands under his chin just like scribbling in his little notebook yeah and he just right <laughs> yeah it's pre- it's pretty stupid and yeah on the on the on the Catherine page it says bitch like 50 times it's like bitch, like big block letters, and then he writes like bitch, like welcome to my bitch world, and she's a bitch, and it's and coke problem, and it's just like, okay, this is how he really feels about Catherine. So, um, you know, to to show to just lay all his cards on the table with Annette after a big misstep that he had, saying you know lying to her and saying that it was all a game. He he makes a copy of it, and he 
and he gives it to her. He does. Does he send her the original? I think he sends her the original. The original. He just gives her. He wraps up his 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 journal and gives it to her, and it becomes a major plot point at the end of the movie after Sebastian's death. Um, so we should talk about the ending of the movie. Yeah, it takes place at the funeral. It's the funeral, but it, it's also the first day of school. It almost looks like the first day of school. That's what I was thinking. It was like an assembly that there's a memorial for Sebastian. Yeah, but because the headmaster is like, oh, I didn't want to start the school year like but this. But I think it's supposed to be the funeral, though. Yeah. But so, that all the students are invited to. So there's a, there's a little Reese and Sarah's only scene together is yeah. how it begins. Yeah. The only scene they have in the entire movie together. And there's kind of a little, like... How would you describe the scene between them? It's like, oh, Sebastian, did you know him? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it's a very it's it's a weird scene. There's a callback to the um to the whenever I'm feeling lonely, I turn to I turn to God turn and to he Jesus. gets me through it. Yeah, which is a little uh, note from the journal. Yeah, and that's what she says before she uh, when she pats her her little cross. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar ultimately is kind of giving a eulogy. Yeah, <laughs> at the and she sees this, and she sees people start to run in and wave people outside, and then it just turns kind of crazy. Like everyone starts to be like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" Oh my god, it's nuts! Because one girl, one random girl, runs in holding this, like this bundle of papers this book and she just whispers to someone on the edge of the aisle and like everybody just starts standing up and leaving it's like what is she telling them yeah like what is she telling them that everybody's like well fuck this like well fuck me i gotta go (laughs) and also just kind of during this whole hatched plan with annette and and uh some of larry's characters in on it Mm -hmm. that they're doing this in the middle of the funeral yeah, like I mean, regardless, it's a fu- it's a funeral. Well, they they've got to ruin Catherine, what, but like by as, whatever means necessary. As, like, their parents are just sitting there. Yeah, like after <laughs> mourning the loss of their shithead son. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but ultimately, what has happened is Annette has photocopied the journal, made it into like a booklet, and her and Cecile are passing it out to all of the students. And the very first thing you see when you open it is Sarah Michelle Gellar's page, is Catherine's page, that says just bitch and cokehead, and she is just ruined. And are this many students that invested in them? That does that no. they're reading it cover to cover in like two minutes? Yeah, and it takes a moment. Catherine goes outside. Everyone is just all the students are just standing right outside the chapel holding a copy, and they all look up at the same time, and they see Catherine there. Play to this song, (laughs) which they had to shell out some major cash for this song. Well, the Verve had to shell out some major cash for this song because they don't own the music. But, I mean, even how it plays... So you're saying the production had to pay a lot for it? Yeah. but, But the band themselves... Did not make any of that money. All that no. money went to the Rolling Stones. Because it's a it's a sample of a, of a Rolling Stone song. It's not even a sample. It's a cover. It's a cover. Yeah. Okay. I because was, I no. just thought it was a sample of the no. main. No, 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 no. The real song is played by Rolling Stones on guitar. This is a they got a, an orchestra to play this. The Verve did. Yeah. 
but it's using the music that the Rolling Stones wrote. But I read in EW that uh, the director had his heart set on this song. He found out how much it was, which it was close to a million dollars to license it. Sure. They tried to find other songs, but nothing cut together like this song. Yeah. So they just had to eat it. It works. It feels it like works. it feels like yeah. a piece of score. And also, it probably helped them sell a lot of soundtracks. Oh, I'm sure. Too. So it all worked out in the long run. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, Catherine is staring at everyone, and everyone's looking at her, and they're just like mouthing like, fuck you. As she walks out there, why? I don't get it. Maybe it details every bad thing she did to every student. But wouldn't they know that at this point? Wouldn't yeah. you know that Catherine, like, their big thing when they fuck people over is kind of taking credit for it. So I don't know why the student body is so shocked. Um, also, a Manhattan Upper West Side prep school, and they're just like, Coke? Shocked and Cocaine? When they see the Coke reveal. At our school? Just like a clutching of, their pearls, squares, and eventually the adults make it outside and grab her giant, like huge, like rosary with the cross in the end of it, and immediately pull out coke. Coke falls all over the floor, covers everyone, covers everyone, and then the, then the adults just walk away. <laughs> they look at her like Catherine, and then they leave, and then they leave. <laughs> they leave her standing there. Doesn't make any sense. Then, my biggest thing is that it cuts to the very last scene of the movie, Annette driving away in this like $90,000 car. Got the car. How did Annette get the car? Wouldn't the parents be like, yeah, so we paid a lot of money for this car. Sorry, I know that you've been dating him for maybe two weeks, but. That is a very expensive car. I don't know if you can keep the car. No. And I also love that Does Sebastian have a will. I also love that they had in the B roll. You can tell that they just wherever they could shoot this, they had yeah. to do it in the L.A. desert, in like <laughs> the ca- Southern California desert, so you can fully see tumbleweeds and and sand in the background. Yeah, like where in New York is this? Where and she's then it driving cuts this to car her away, driving down the bridge. Yeah, which I get. I mean, that's just movies of just how they how they shot it. Yeah, they couldn't do it on a busy street. Yeah. But um, yeah, I always had trouble with Reese Witherspoon getting the car at she the end the of the car. movie. And um, yeah, but and Catherine is ruined. She'll she'll she's not no longer going to be the like head bitch on campus. But uh, I, I mean, I guess she brought ex- it on herself. I guess that it's hinted that she's expelled. I guess I I take it from all of this. I guess that doesn't. Yeah, that's unclear as well. <laughs> There's no scene where they just throw stones at her, yeah, yeah. and they just like follow her down the street. As burn, they just, her. burn her! Burn <laughs> her! Just get a stake, and they just burn her right there. Yeah, yeah but um, if I mean, I, if you haven't seen *Cruel Intentions*, I don't know how you haven't, because it's been 20 years. But um, this movie—I <laughs> mean, you have to give the movie credit that it takes a lot of big swings at sure what you kind of think is a teen movie. It's yeah. not squeaky clean. No. These are teenagers that act like adults. And yeah. there's nothing cooler as a 16-year-old when going to the movie that you see people that you kind of want to be you. Yeah. 
you kind of want to project yourself that you're this powerful. Yeah, it's aspirational. It's aspirational. You know, upper Upper West Side New York society, Central Park views in these apartments, beautiful classic cars. You know, like these great clothes. Um, yeah, the styling on Ryan Philippi. I remember at the time, like just being like, "Oh my god, like that's so cool!" Like, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting when you look at the careers of everyone in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think Selma Blair had really done a lot of big, no. big things before this movie. She had a bit part in Can't Hardly Wait. She had her sitcom Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, that lasted one season that, that probably, I really liked. That was probably around like two thousand, two thousand one or so. Yeah, it was earlier than that. And Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, Buffy. While it was a pretty big hit for the WB, it hadn't quite gotten to its full stride yet. She was looking to do more movie roles. This was a very different type of role for her that I'm sure that a lot of her management and stuff probably discouraged her from. Yeah. Because it was so different from Buffy Summers. Yeah, totally. Reese Witherspoon had a pretty good career. I think Election had just come out. Mm-hmm. So she was being talked about a lot. She did Pleasantville. Yeah. Which that kind of put me... that her on my radar yeah she did freeway so this was her big teen movie yeah and it's kind of cool that both her and ryan were able to do their teen movie as a couple yeah and then they just slipped right out and they didn't really do anything else like that after yeah too so they weren't they weren't typecast or pigeonholed from it yeah i mean reese did legally blonde but i think that movie is a little bit more elevated as far as like teen movie fair, it's not like it's not it's no can't hardly wait. And that appeals know? to everyone. Too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Plus, it's, also, it's college. It's also kind of interesting. You were uh, texting me yesterday. I'm surprised that you were saying I'm surprised Sarah Michelle Gellar didn't have a bigger movie career. Yeah, but yeah, her movie careers, her movies didn't always work. No, and this was the same year. Simply Irresistible came out, Ooh. which is terrible. Oh boy! And right after she left Buffy, she left Buffy and. 2003 to have a bigger movie career and nothing really stuck yeah like she did the grudge which was a a pretty decent hit for her yeah she did a couple of b movies that nobody remembers but me (laughs) like uh the return and harvard man that nobody remembers she did the scooby-doo movies and and then she just sort of yeah she didn't really do anything big (laughs) after that and since then she's had a few tv projects that have I mean, have only lasted about one season. Mm-hmm. But I think she knocks this role out of the park, though. I think she's really, I think she's really funny in it. No, she is. She's yeah. really she good. She plays the, the comedy elements with a lot of great timing. It's kind of a quintessential Sarah Michelle Gellar part, even though it is very different than Buffy. But I think it's what a lot of people remember her for. And I mean, yeah, her 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 movie career didn't exactly blossom the way. Reese Witherspoon's did, but I think she really carved out a career for herself. And I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest, Sarah Michelle Gellar's doing just fine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and what's, She's and what's doing really just great fine. about the movie is that even in 2019, it's still talked about. Oh, There's yeah. There's still uh, internet memes and gifts shared about it. There's yeah. still lines that are quoted. So it lives on. Yeah. And it's really beloved from. I know that people that were. Going to high school in the early 2000s have a real fondness for it, too. Uh-huh. That this was a movie that we had to, like, either get snuck into in the movie theater. I did not see this in the theater until yesterday. <laughs> or you had to, like, secretly rent it. Yeah. And then I just ended up buying it. <laughs> and I have it on – I had it on VHS. I have the DVD of it. 
Yeah. And if they do a special edition Blu-ray, I'll probably buy it. <laughs> so you don't remember when you first saw this? Do you know how old you were? I mean, if it was 1999, then I was uh, 21. So just college age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially if it was summer of night. I don't remember what season it came out, but I was... It was, was March. It was this month. Oh, it was March, and I was March. Then I was twenty. It opened with "Analyze That." No, analyze this. <laughs> and it was a it was an okay movie. It made back its budget. Yeah, it was kind of a sleeper hit. wasn't Didn't make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it did make money for them to greenlight a pilot. No, the pilot was not greenlit. <laughs> they shot the pilot. Cruel Intentions 2 with Amy Adams. It wasn't Cruel Intentions 2. The pilot was Cruel Intentions colon Manchester Prep. Manchester Prep. And when Fox passed on the pilot, uh, they just made it Cruel Intentions 2. They repackaged it. And they repackaged it for home Direct to DVD movie, yeah. Early work of Amy Adams. And I've been following Amy Adams' career since 1999. (laughs) That's like, that's where that actress had been huffing it. Yeah. Doing, like, trying to get the. Playing the role of Catherine on Cruel Intentions, Manchester Prep. <laughs> and I have seen it, and it is not good. Oh, you've watched the entire thing? I have thing. seen it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's That's pretty bad. awesome. I don't remember anything from it. The trailer looked terrible. Got a bunch of, uh, I mean, aside from Amy Adams, like the character, the, the guy they got to play the Sebastian character, what a bore. And we should also talk about, like, two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, NBC did another pilot that's written by uh, the director of Cruel Intentions, Roger Cumble, mm-hmm. and he wrote it and he directed it, and they got Sarah Michelle Gellar to come back as Catherine. What was it? It's, I think it's sort of like a Gossip Girl type of show, and it's about the children of Annette and Sebastian. What? Of like Annette, this I think. This is the first time I would say this. Annette and Sebastian, but they don't. Obviously, he doesn't. I, I mean, maybe he knocks her up. <laughs> but yeah. But they just did the the pilot, and they passed on it. Interesting. And the, and the episode has not seen the light of day so far. Wow. That's very interesting. I'll have to look that up. I had no idea about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies. There was, a, there was beautiful boys in it. There's girls kissing it each other. It has a big gay following there, for yeah, obvious it has reasons. To, I mean, you, get, you get that shot of Ryan Phillippe's buns. Yeah, which and SMG is playing such a like cunty bitch character that you just you just want to be it's her. So camp, yeah, it's super over the top and campy, and it's it's definitely falls under the category of movies that made us gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> movies that we watched over and over again. I watched it a lot when it was on just reruns on cable, and I'm I'm glad we saw it in the theater last night. Seeing it on the big screen was yeah, very was interesting. Fun. Forced to forced to sit down and watch it without a second screen, without having being able to look at our phone. But yeah, there was only one other person in the theater besides us. <laughs> I tried. I tried to look up box office numbers of how it did this weekend, but I couldn't find anything. Oh yeah, I don't think we'll be able to mm-hmm. see that for a while. But yeah, that was that was kind of awesome. Yeah. Well, and do you have any final thoughts on on Cruel Intentions? Ooh, final thoughts. <laughs> I think that you should probably play. Uh, Catherine's exit cue. I want to fuck. There you go. <laughs> if there's one takeaway from this movie, it's that you can just think about that when I'm just whenever you need a laugh. I want to fuck. <laughs> wow, 
Wow. That was an amazing movie. Amazing ride. Uh, you have anything else? I, I think I'm good. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back shortly with another movie that made us gay. Bye. Bye. Bye.